you're listening to the Place Northwest COP26 podcast series. A dedicated series that explores all things net zero carbon and sustainability within the built environment. Alongside some of the biggest names in property, we'll be delving into topics such as why the market is pushing net zero carbon faster than legislation. Is renovation and retrofitting better for the planet than new construction? How can we balance sustainability concerns with profit margins? And much, much more. Don't miss any future episodes. Subscribe at placenorthwest.co.uk slash subscribe or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Place Northwest podcast. I'm your host, Julia Hatmaker. We're continuing our COP26 series today with a look at retrofitting. In an earlier episode, we talked about how the housing sector is handling the push for retrofitting, but it's not just houses that need to be upgraded and fixed up to be made sustainable. That's why I've recruited Kate Doherty, Head of Net Zero and Sustainability for Building Services for WSP, to chat with us. WSP is one of the world's leading engineering consulting firms. They are fervent about tackling the climate crisis and were the first company in the sector to commit to cutting by 50% the carbon footprint of their designs and advice by 2030. In addition to this, they will deliver net zero emissions in their own operations by 2025. So, Kate, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Julia. Thank you for having me. So happy to have you. And I'm really excited to talk about retrofitting. It is something that I find really interesting, and I think it is so incredibly important. But I'm actually going to let you sound off on why retrofitting is so important. So if you don't mind, take it away. Absolutely. Thank you. So, I mean, I'm sure your listeners are going to know we've got in the UK our net zero by 2050 target and 78% reduction by 2035. And on one hand, yeah, this is really, really challenging. But on the other hand, it is, it's the absolute minimum that we've got to do to keep well below those two degrees warming and avoid those, those most devastating impacts of climate change. And it's becoming really very real now, isn't it, Julia? You know, all those things that the scientists predicted in the past, they're actually they're happening now. We've got those intense heat waves. We saw that in Europe at the beginning of the year. Just this yeah. week, we've had flash floods in London. You know, these things, they're actually already irreversible in our lifetime and they're going to get worse. I'm sorry, this is a bit of a downer, isn't it? But you know, what <laughs> okay, I'm saying well, is, yeah, those targets, they're, they're just non-negotiable. So, so your question was, where does retrofit come into that? And Again, I'm sure your listeners have heard this sort of oft quoted um, percentages, but it's really important because the built environment, we know that contributes around 40% of the UK's total carbon footprint. And I think in industry, we're really getting a grip of the, the net zero carbon new build. You know, it, fe- it feels like we're getting to grips with that. But 80% of the buildings that we'll still have in 2050, they've already being built. So it's so crucial to meeting those carbon targets and and tackling climate change that we focus on decarbonizing our existing building stock. And and you mentioned in the beginning, Julia, WSP, we were the first consultant to pledge to um, cut the carbon footprint of our designs in half by 2030. And in sort of getting to grips with what that actually means for for us, we've realized that 
we know we can't actually do that without increasing the proportion of retrofit projects that we do. Um, so I think the other thing that's kind of a really important point to make here is it's kind of a double hit when we're talking about retrofitting. So by retrofitting, we not only have the chance to make our existing energy hungry building net zero carbon, but we're also not knocking down that building and putting a new one in its place with all the, the vast amount of embodied carbon that comes along with that. Um, so it's probably worth saying here, just clarifying that when we're talking about net zero carbon, we need to be very clear that this is whole life carbon, operational and embodied. So we've been thinking in terms of operational carbon for quite a long time, which is just your heating, your cooling, your lighting and everything. Um, and that's important. But there's another sort of big piece of the puzzle, which is the embodied carbon. And that's the carbon associated with with the building construction, you know, extracting, transporting, manufacturing, all those building materials as well. So just to kind of set the scene there. No, I think that's so important because as you said, like operational feels very attainable, I guess, when it comes to like fixing things. You're like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, make sure I have a technology that's going to keep my house heated in a way that's sustainable. It will be great. That's easy. Get better, you know, heat pumps. And then when it comes to like that embodied carbon, it's like how how do you get the place that you want to build to be as least, um, I guess, like carbon bad as possible? And like, as you said, like retrofitting is a great solution for that. And it's breathing new life into an old space as well, which is really fantastic, I think, yeah, to be absolutely. honest with you. So obviously we, we should be retrofitting. Retrofitting is a great thing. Let's get on it. But um, there are some challenges to retrofitting as well. I mean, I think one of the big things that we talked about a little bit earlier before the podcast was that there's no easy solution that you can just kind of implement across every single building there is. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what it is? Is there is no, there's no one standard solution. And I think in my experience in where we kind of are right now in this conversation, clients and design teams in the questions they're asking, they're sort of looking for that silver bullet that one generic solution that works for every building, but every existing building is very, very different. You've got a very different starting point, needs to be surveyed and, and, and really um, understood. And then a bespoke decarbonization plan put in place. So, you know, we're talking about commercial buildings. So what are the heating and cooling systems in that building? How close are those systems to the end of their life, should we be replacing them or not? How efficient is the facade? Can that be reused or actually does it need to be much more efficient? How old's the building? What, what's it constructed from? How flexible is the existing structure? So lots of um, lots of variables there. With a new build, you've got you've got a nice blank canvas and you probably can apply a much more formulaic approach but when we're talking about retrofit you're working within much more uh, a fixed parameters so you've got to be much cleverer I, I believe about making the best of what you've got um, uh, the other is aspect of course is this sort of holistic design so everything you do impacts on everything else as well so you can't just kind of look at these things in isolation so 
how efficient your fabric is, for example, impacts on your heating loads, which impacts on the size and the suitability of the heating system you might choose. So, so there's lots of, um, yeah, lots of different variables that you need to understand and bring together. I do have to say, like, you know, we talk about how there's not a silver bullet, but the downside of not having a silver bullet is it feels like costs just keep going up then because you're like, I have to have, you know, a specially crafted design specifically for this building. I have to do this survey specifically for this one building. Like, it just seems like it It seems so expensive, but that's kind of the, the retrofit cost, you know, the yeah. penalty of doing it, right? Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, net zero retrofit um yeah, it does incur additional cost getting to net zero, going beyond just, you know, refurbishing the building. Um, and we know that it costs more to retrofit a building to meet net zero carbon than would have been the additional cost for reaching net zero on a new build in the first place. And this is particularly infuriating when we think that, you know, all new non-domestic buildings should have been zero carbon three years ago if we stuck to the original sort of building regulations plan yeah. um but you know but we've got to we've got to kind of look at it a little bit differently we've got to understand especially in the commercial sector that there is a cost of not retrofitting those existing assets you know you re by not um retrofitting to net zero carbon, you've got this risk of having stranded assets in five or 10 years time, you know, it's going to be very difficult to sell or let a commercial building that is not net zero carbon. And this is driven by uh, corporate targets of your, your occupiers, investor targets, and very much by occupant expectations as well. I saw a survey the other day um, and Gen Z, who I think is the, the under 25s, I think I've got that right. 76% of them said that climate change was one of their main concerns in their life. So so the, this is the up and coming um, occupants of, of these buildings, of these commercial offices. So there's a driver beyond just what's the cost, what's the payback. It's if we don't do this, then people are going to be left with stranded assets. Um, I did actually see some, there's some research by JLL as well, which shows that more sustainable buildings can have an increased rental value. And I think it was six to 10 or six to 11% in terms of the increased rental value. So that needs to be taken into account as well. And, you know, we know with all of these things, as the as the supply chain grows, and as we're doing this more and more, economies of scale can bring the costs down. And, and the, the oft quoted sort of example of that is, is photovoltaics, which we know have come down about 80% in, in cost in, in the last 10 years. So it's more than just looking at the additional cost in isolation. There's the, a much bigger picture here in terms of value, I think. Yeah. But I do think like, too, you do need to factor in that it is just going to cost more and just, you know, add that, be realistic about what comes with this. Because I know we talked a little bit before about, you know, the same issues that are impacting new buildings, like the supply chain, materials, um, you know, being more expensive, like that's still going to apply to a retrofit. And that is just, you know, again, it's the, it's the cost we all live with to do business at this point. 
let's say there's all these things I want to do to retrofit my building. And I've probably picked up some like things like um, uh, triple glazings, one of them and things like that. Is, is there anything that, you know, might on the outset seem like a really great idea, but maybe like on, on second glance is like actually like this is probably not the best thing for you to do or may not be the best thing for you to do that you can think of? Yeah, for sure. And I think this brings brings us back to this conversation around whole life carbon and kind of and and the um the the bespoke solutions and the nuance within that because when looking at that whole life carbon balance of operational carbon and embodied carbon this is now a different way of thinking about how we do things perhaps different to to how we approach things traditionally when we only really had this focus on operational so we actually did um an analysis on a office building project quite recently uh, this was a, a retrofit of um, um a sort of five-story office building and the question was is it worth replacing the facade um, to go to triple glazing for this project and the answer was no because the embodied carbon of that triple glazing over the lifetime of the building actually significantly exceeded the carbon savings that we'd get from um, from the reduced heat loads in the wow. building. Um, another, ex yeah, I know. So it's different. It, it used to be like, oh yeah, triple glazing go to, but it's not when you look in a whole life, you know, a whole life carbon. It's not necessarily the case. I've seen um, similar analysis on um, solar panels, for example. Um, you know, that that's that's a bit more complex and it's different for every building type. But I have seen analysis on certain buildings where solar panels didn't necessarily payback from a whole life carbon perspective. So, yeah, for sure, it's really important to start um, thinking in this very different way about the whole life cycle of the carbon emissions of the building. Yeah, you weren't joking about there not being a silver bullet. You've taken away my <laughs> solar panels. Glazing <laughs> may not be great. <laughs> but They can work in some instances, but the whole point is that every, every project and every building is different. We need to do those calculations to properly understand it instead of just applying broad brush sort of solutions to everything. Yeah, it's like being yeah. smarter, like working smarter, not harder, yeah. basically. Yeah, with yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like another another key problem with retrofitting, it's not even like so much of a problem, it's more of a challenge that we face when we retrofit is like it sounds like there's some some education we need to do to get everyone in the loop on the best ways to retrofit things. Would you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. And I think um, within, certainly within our industry, that's that's absolutely that's happening for sure. You know, there's a whole lot of guidance and a whole lot of collaboration out there on what that really means at the at the design end of the industry. But I think there's also probably where, well, certainly where we really need to catch up is more around the, the supply chain and the skills and knowledge there, you know, to meet these net zero targets. There's a, a really wide scale retrofit program required and I'm sort of I'm, I'm talking almost beyond just offices and commercial now it's, it's a massive massive piece of work to be done and there isn't yet sufficient knowledge and skills in the supply chain to deliver that low or zero carbon retrofit on that scale so you know 
builders to retrofit to high fabric standards, the, the people trained to install and maintain heat pumps. There's also a lot of research to be done um, around understanding the embodied carbon of things like building services. We understand quite well now um, the structure of a building, but things like building services, those HVAC systems, there's some more understanding um, research and knowledge that needs to be to be gained there. And the answer to that, of course, is sort of policy changes and and a secure pipeline of work from, from the public sector to, to provide that clear direction and give industry the confidence it needs to to invest in that upskilling. But I'm, I'm definitely hearing from where I operate in the industry, I'm hearing a lot of conversation about this at the moment. So that's really... Um, you know, that, that's that's really exciting. So, okay, we've kind of covered some of the big challenges that face you when you want to retrofit a building. Let's let's get in, let's lift people back up. We set them down with that whole like, you know, <laughs> climate change is happening. So now we're just gonna, we're gonna lift you guys back up here. So what are some of the opportunities that retrofitting represents? For sure. Do you know what? I think in and of itself, retrofitting is is a huge opportunity. It is one thing that can have an absolutely massive impact on, on our sort of route to net zero carbon. Ultimately, if we can nail net zero retrofit, then we've made a, a huge leap forward on those net zero carbon goals. Um, and it is, it's one of the steps to net zero carbon that is, it, it's technically possible right now what you know with existing technology we're not waiting for new things to come online to to solve this problem so it, it is technically possible it's just about getting getting everyone on board with that i think a, a sort of almost more specific technical opportunity that I, I i love to talk about is the opportunity with some of the you know if you go back far enough giving new old buildings um, a new life so if you go back far enough there were old buildings that were designed and constructed in an an inherently sustainable passive efficient way Um, I'm thinking of an example of um, an office project in Manchester that um, I've recently worked on it was half retrofit of what was originally a gorgeous large Georgian home and half a new build office sort of built on the back and connected to it so the retrofit of that Georgian building gave us so much opportunity to to reinstate the original energy efficient design intent it had these wonderful tall windows that flooded the place with natural light they'd actually been painted shut for years and we were able to look at opening those up and taking out internal partitions to enable the original natural ventilation to throw um, to flow through the building again. Uh, there were gorgeous high ceilings, the kind of floor to ceiling height that we would never comprehend using today in an office, yeah. you know, for like for cost reasons. And um, it's obviously it's got a firmly massive structure that together with those high ceilings helped to regulate the internal temperatures. But what was really wonderful about that project was that the um, the design of the 
old element, the reinstatement of the passive design of the old element, it actually also followed through and drove the design of the new element attached to it, you know, by by necessity, really. So those wonderful high floor to ceiling heights of the existing building, they had to follow through to the new building, the same as the natural ventilation approach um, and the natural light it all followed through the design and the old influenced the new. And this one, it was actually one of the lowest energy use intensity buildings that, that I've worked on today. And it didn't necessarily set out to be that. It was it was just the fact that, that we sort of used the, the the inherent passive design of the old building and that um, influenced everything else and, and created a really nice internal environment as well. So I really enjoyed that one. I think the thing I love so much about that story is I feel like it's very tempting for us, you know, in 2021 to to look at back on people in the past and be like, oh, they didn't quite know what they were doing. Like, you know, they were, I guess, like less smart about things they just didn't have technology and they didn't have the know-how that kind of jazz and like this is a case where it's like actually they knew what they were doing they were doing really good stuff with these buildings there's things we can learn from and how this building is made and implement in the world today and make better buildings for sure so much of sustainable design is not about adding more technology and more stuff to do the job you know it's actually about trying to be more efficient more lean taking things out of the design making it operate um passively and naturally and having just less material so less embodied carbon so definitely looking to the past um can give us inspiration for future designs yeah and i know we talked too about how public opinion is just heading in the retrofit direction you can't you can't really ignore it at this point people want to be in green buildings you've got to make a building that's green the end yeah basically <laughs> for sure for sure i mean we spoke earlier about um i think we spoke about corporate targets investor mm-hmm. targets occupant expectations um gen z all of these things it, just last week there was um an article in on the news, sort of primetime news, BBC, a report from the Royal Academy of Engineering, it was about, and the headline was, construction companies told to stop knocking down buildings, you know, and this, this sort of made it into the headlines. And I thought, brilliant, there, there really is an opportunity here for this different way of thinking. And it's, it's starting to seep into the consciousness, not just of the industry but of the understanding and of the of the public so you know can we start to replace this sort of fashion or desire for shiny new glass offices as as corporate status symbols with actually the new status symbol being an older building brought back to life as a a premium net zero carbon office we've got um a quite good example actually recently um, of a stunning commercial retrofit project in London. It was um, completed a couple of years back, but it was bream excellent, very high levels of energy efficiency. The tenants could sort of track their own energy consumption via an app. It was full of natural light from an atrium. And all of this was achieved in a retrofit. You know, it wow. was premium. It was um it wasn't second best to a shiny new building. It was a stunning, desirable office. And it actually won an award for the best office development at the UK Property Awards. So it's not 
that it, you know, it can happen. It's not playing second fiddle to shiny new buildings. Yeah. And I feel like one of the things that's really come across in this conversation, though, is just the need for this to be much more than just one industry working on it. It needs to be kind of, you know, a huge community effort. And part of that means that the public sector has to, to chip in and help make it happen. So what can um, what can be done on a government level to help push for retrofit? Yeah, for sure. This is so important for like all those reasons we spoke about supply chain confidence and 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 just sort of getting this moving. I mean, there's there's some things already that that are driving positive change. We've got the MEES, which is the minimum energy efficiency standards. So we know that by 2030, you won't be able to let um, a property, an, a commercial property with an EPC worse than B, that's an energy performance certificate, worse than B. And the the consultation for that actually states that, yes, it's an ambitious target, but one of its specific aims is encouraging investment in in the fabric and the services of rented non-domestic buildings. And we're seeing, we're actually seeing that have an impact. I've recently read um, an article that the investment bank, Jefferies, actually downgraded the rating of British land and land securities because 70% of their portfolio fell below an energy performance certificate of B. And the calculation that Jefferies had done was that it would cost like seven or 800 million each for these companies to resolve that prior to 2030. So you can see that sort of governmental level policy driving, um, you know, driving change in the market for sure. Um, I think another really important part of this what can what can government do question is regulating embodied carbon. Now, this actually kind of directly impacts new builds, but any focus on reducing embodied carbon then has a knock on impact to incentivizing retrofit for sure. So what I'm talking about here is the construction industry has has come together to actually propose an amendment to the building regulations. And that amendment is known as Part Z. So our current Part L of the building regs, which is for minimizing carbon emissions, that actually only covers operational carbon. And as we've already talked about loads, that is just half of the story. You'd need to cover embodied carbon as well. So Part Z um, proposes this requirement to assess whole life carbon emissions and a limiting of embodied carbon emissions for all major building projects. This isn't um, you know, this isn't building regs at the moment. This is the industry coming together and saying, we think we need this particular building regulation because embodied carbon is the elephant in the room at the minute and it's such an important piece of the journey to net zero and how this impacts with retrofit is i believe that if embodied carbon was um you know strictly regulated then that really puts this focus on the embodied carbon hierarchy which is build nothing build less build clever build efficiently which obviously the 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 build nothing and the build less is about retrofit and refurbishment i think there's a piece for planning authorities 
to play as well. Um, I've heard um, an idea that I've heard proposed is that planning authorities could perhaps have like budgets or quotas to limit the amount of embodied carbon that they can grant permission for in any given period. So this would be a really strong incentive for, for net zero carbon schemes as a whole, but also a really strong incentive um, for retrofit. And we've already spoken about how important it is for public sector um, to lead the way in terms of, of driving the broader industry towards net zero carbon and demonstrating leadership because when you think about it with, with public buildings uh, health and education estates social housing um, there's a massive long-term pipeline of work that requires green retrofit there so there's a real um, opportunity to use public sector buildings to give the supply chain the confidence it needs to invest in those staff and those skills and and, and the technology required and build that up yeah. And it strikes me like what's important is that the government needs to not only offer, you know, as we talked about um, punishments, I guess, uh, to not retrofitting, but it also has to offer like that solutions. Like you're saying, it has to offer, you know, help give the confidence yeah. and in some cases give some of the funds to make this doable. You kind of have to do both. Um, yeah. Carrot and stick. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right. So given, given all of this uh, and what we just talked about, how do you personally feel about you know where the uk stands in terms of the retrofit situation and meeting our net zero goals are are you optimistic are you not is there hope of course of course look i've said we've we've got the technology we've got the skills uh the great thing is that in the built environment much more so than other industries like aviation or shipping we've actually got a lot of the answers you know we've got what we need to get to net zero carbon now but I suppose the real challenge when we're talking about retrofit is the it's the sheer scale of what needs to be achieved in in a relatively short time frame um, a huge industry needs to to grow up um, around this problem to deliver it and for that to happen we need all the things that we've already spoken about in terms of the supply chain and scaling up etc um, it very much starts with those interventions that we spoke about from government and the public sector but you know if we've got that then yes we totally can do it and there is plenty of hopeful signs out there that I'm seeing. There's there's various campaigns that the industries come together on. Um, there's the Architects Journal Retrofit First campaign, for example. We're talking about COP26. It's great to see that COP26 actually has a whole day dedicated to the built environment for the first time. And retrofit will absolutely be a big part of what's discussed um, at that and this is all, um, it's definitely really playing out in my experience on the ground with clients as well. Uh, just last week, um, I was talking to a developer of a city centre office block and they were telling me that the first step in their process had actually been a review of the existing building on their site and an assessment of the possibility of retrofitting that building or perhaps reusing some of the existing structure. So yeah, look, it, it's a big job, but it's absolutely possible. We've got to be optimistic, uh, don't we? And I think like every other aspect of this, this race to net zero carbon that we're in, we need to 
move away from thinking of this as a cost and we really need to reframe this as the the huge opportunity that it is you know the opportunity to create green jobs unlock sustainable economic growth and specifically in our industry provide those much higher quality buildings for people to live and work in Kate uh, I normally end these by recapping it but I think I think you kind of just nailed it right there <laughs> we've got a retrofit there are challenges but we're going to overcome them we have to overcome yeah, them are. And we're going to make it work. Like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a podcast today. That was it. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate this. And I, I really enjoyed our discussion. I thought it was really interesting and really informative. So thank you. No, thank you, Julia. It's been great fun. If you want to learn more about sustainability and the built environment, you should check out our COP26 series. This is just one of those episodes. We have a whole slew of them and there'll be more coming out over the next few weeks as well. So don't miss a single episode. And the best way to make sure that you are up to date on all things COP26 Place Podcast series stuff is to make sure you are subscribing to Place Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoy the podcast, I'm just going to keep saying how many times I can say podcast today, uh, please consider leaving us a review. It helps people find the show and it gives us really good feedback so we know how we can make a better podcast for you. So with that, I'm going to stop saying the word podcast. Uh, I'm Julia Hatmaker. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.